0: THE FIRST LETTER OF PAUL TO THE THESSALONIANS CHAPTER 1 PAUL, SYLVANUS, AND TIMOTHY, TO THE CHURCH OF THE THESSALONIANS IN GOD THE FATHER AND THE LORD JESUS CHRIST, GRACE TO YOU AND PEACE. WE GIVE THANKS TO GOD ALWAYS FOR ALL OF YOU, CONSTANTLY MENTIONING YOU IN OUR PRAYERS, REMEMBERING BEFORE OUR GOD AND FATHER YOUR WORK OF FAITH AND LABOR OF LOVE AND steadfastness OF HOPE IN OUR LORD JESUS CHRIST.
1: The First Epistle to the Thessalonians Introduction This letter, more than any other of Paul's, is characterized by simplicity, gentleness, and affection, here there is no controversy. W. Graham Scroggy. 1. Unique Place in the Canon The first book by any famous author is usually highly prized as indicating earliest emphasis and gift of communication. 1 Thessalonians may well be Paul's first inspired letter. The amazing amount of Christian teaching that the Apostle was able to fit into his short stay at Thessalonica is clearly indicated by the many doctrines he discusses as already known by the Thessalonians. Today the rapture and second advent of our Lord are widely believed and looked for by evangelical Christians. This was not always so. The revival of interest in this doctrine, especially through the writings of the early brethren in Great Britain, 1825-1850, was largely based on 1 Thessalonians. Without this short letter we would be terribly deprived in our understanding of the various aspects of Christ's return. 2. Authorship That 1 Thessalonians is an authentic Pauline letter is denied by virtually no Bible scholars. The support for this is sufficient, as J.E. Frame says, unless one is prepared to assert that Paul never lived or that no letter from him has survived. External evidence that Paul is the author is found in Polycarp, Ignatius, and Justin, as well as the Martianite canon and the Muratorian canon, early lists of Christian scriptures, one heretical and one orthodox. Internal evidence is the use of Pauline vocabulary and style, and the outlook of a tender-hearted, spiritual father. The historical allusions coincide with Acts. Both in 1 verse 1 and 2 verse 18 the writer calls himself Paul. 3. Date 1 Thessalonians was written from Corinth during Paul's 18-month stay there, not long after Timothy came to Paul, 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 6, 2 verse 17. Since Gallio, Acts 18 is believed to have arrived as proconsul in the early summer of A.D. 51, Paul must have gone there in early 50 and written 1 Thessalonians soon after. Nearly all scholars date the book in the early 50s, and it is probably safe to date the letter more precisely in AD 50 or 51, only 20 years after our Lord's ascension. 4. Background and themes It was during Paul's second missionary journey that the light of the gospel first broke in on the darkness of Thessalonica, Acts 17 verses 1-10. After Paul and Silas had been released from jail in Philippi, they traveled to Thessalonica via Amphipolis and Apollonia. Thessalonica at that time was a strategic city, both commercially and politically. True to form, Paul went to the Jewish synagogue and showed from the OT that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. He then went on to declare that Jesus of Nazareth was the promised Messiah. That lasted for three Saturdays. Some of the Jews were convinced and took their place with Paul and Silas as Christian believers. Also, many of the Greek proselytes and quite a few of the leading women of the city were converted. Then the backlash started. Those Jews who did not believe rounded up some of the hoodlums from the marketplace, incited a riot, and besieged the house of Jason, where Paul and Silas had been staying. When they didn't find the preachers in the house, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city rulers, Polytarchs, accusing them of having turned the world upside down. It was an unintended compliment. Then they charged the Christians with plotting to overthrow Caesar by promoting another king named Jesus. The Polytarchs were troubled. They required Jason and his colleagues to post bail, probably adding strict orders for his guests to get out of town. Then Jason and the others were released. The Christian brethren in Thessalonica decided that it would be wise for the preachers to leave town, so they sent them by night to Berea. The remarkable thing is that when Paul and Silas departed, they left behind a congregation of believers who were instructed in the doctrines of the faith and who were unmoved by the persecution they endured. It would be easy to conclude from Acts 17 verse 2 that Paul and his companions were in Thessalonica for only three Sabbaths. However, that may have been only the duration of their teaching ministry in the synagogue. Paul and his team may have spent as long as three months in the city. The apostles' letters to them show that the Thessalonians had a broad acquaintance with Christian doctrine, and they could scarcely have received this in three or four weeks. From Berea, Paul went to Athens, Acts 17 verse 15. There he heard that the believers in Thessalonica were being persecuted. He tried to visit them but Satan hindered, 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 17 and 18, so he sent Timothy to them, 3 verses 1, 2. Timothy brought back a report that was, on the whole, encouraging, 3 verses 6-8, and this prompted the apostle to write this letter. In it, he defends his ministry against slanderous attacks, he calls for separation from the prevailing immorality of that culture, he corrects misapprehensions about those who had died in Christ, he rebukes those who had quit working in view of Christ's coming and he urges the saints to respect their spiritual leaders. One of the most important themes of 1 Thessalonians is the return of the Lord Jesus. It is mentioned at least once in each of the five chapters. G. R. Harding would put these references together and came up with the following excellent synopsis. The Christian who is expecting the return of the Lord Jesus has no room for, 1, idols in his heart, 1, verses 9, 10, 2, slackness in his service, 2, colon 9, 19, 3, divisions in his fellowship, 3, verses 12, 13, 4, depression in his mind, 4, verses 13 to 18, or, 5, sin in his life, 5, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 1 Commentary I A Salutation 1 verse 1 The letter opens with the names of three men who had been accused of turning the world upside down. The charge was intended as a slander, it was actually a tribute. Paul was the author of the epistle. Silvanus and Timothy were traveling with him at the time, so he included their names. Silvanus is probably the same as the Silas who sang a duet with Paul in the prison at Philippi, Acts 16 verse 25. Timothy is the young brother from Lystra who had joined Paul just before the trip to Thessalonica, Acts 16 verse 1. The letter was written to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word we translate as church was used at that time to describe any kind of an assembly, so Paul wants to make it clear that this is not a heathen assembly but one that is related to God as Father and to Jesus Christ as Lord. The greeting grace and peace embraces the best blessings that anyone could enjoy this side of heaven. Grace is God's undeserved favor in every aspect of our lives. Peace is the unruffled quietness which defies the crashing, crushing circumstances of life grace is the cause and peace, the effect. Paul repeats the dual divine names as the co-equal source of the blessings, this time putting the possessive personal pronoun or in front of father. 2. Paul's personal relations with the Thessalonians, 1 verse 2-3 verse 13. At Paul's commendation of the Thessalonians, 1 verses 2-10. 1 verses 2-3, whenever Paul prayed he mentioned the Thessalonians. Are we as faithful in remembering our Christian brothers and sisters? And it was always with thanks that he prayed for them, remembering their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. Their work of faith probably refers primarily to their conversion to God. This description of faith as a work reminds us of the time some people asked Jesus, What shall we do, that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. John 6 verses 28 and 29. In this sense, faith is an act or deed. But it is not toil by which a man earns merit or in which he can boast. In fact, it is the only work that man can perform without robbing Christ of his glorious Saviour and without denying his own status as a helpless sinner. Faith is a non-meritorious work by which the creature acknowledges his Creator and the sinner acknowledges his Saviour. The expression work of faith also includes the life of faith which follows conversion. In addition to their work of faith, Paul remembered their labor of love. This speaks of their service for God motivated by love to the Lord Jesus. Christianity is not a life to be endured for duty's sake, but a person to be served for love's sake. To be his slave is perfect freedom, and love for him makes drudgery divine. Compared to love, the profit motive is a cheap, tawdry inducement. Love for Christ draws forth service that the dollar could never inspire. The Thessalonians were living testimonies to this fact. Finally, Paul was thankful for their patience of hope. This speaks of their steadfast waiting for Jesus. They had been undergoing persecution as a result of their valiant stand for Christ. But no cracks had appeared in what Phillips calls their sheer dogged endurance. The place of remembrance is indicated by the phrase, In the sight of our God and Father. As Paul entered the presence of God in prayer, he rehearsed the spiritual birth and growth of the saints and breathed out his thanksgiving for their faith, love, and hope. 1 verse 4 The apostle was assured that these saints had been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. But how did he know? Did he have some supernatural insight? No, he knew they were among the elect by the way they had received the gospel. The doctrine of election 4 teaches that God chose certain people in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 verse 4. It does not teach that he chose some to be damned. If men are finally lost, it is because of their own sin and unbelief. The same Bible that teaches election also teaches human responsibility or man's free choice. God makes a bona fide offer of salvation to all people everywhere. Whoever comes to Christ will find a warm welcome. These two doctrines, election and freedom of choice, create an irreconcilable conflict in the human mind. But the Bible teaches both and so we should believe both even if we can't harmonize them. We do not know who the elect are and so we should carry the gospel to all the world. Sinners should not use the doctrine of election as an excuse for not believing. If they will repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God will save them. 1 verse 5 by our Gospel Paul, does not imply a different message from that of the other apostles. The contents were the same, the difference was in the messengers. The Thessalonians had not treated the message as a mere religious lecture, they had, of course, received it in word, but not in word only. It was in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance that it came to them, one, in power. The message worked in their lives with supernatural energy, producing conviction of sin, repentance, and conversion. 2. In the Holy Spirit. This power was produced by the Holy Spirit. 3. In much assurance. Paul preached with great confidence in the message. The Thessalonians accepted it with much assurance as the Word of God. The result in their lives was full assurance of faith. Paul now reminds them of his own conduct while he was with them. He not only preached the gospel, but lived a consistent life the best sermon is a holy life. 1 verse 6, Thus Paul could say, You became followers of us and of the Lord. One would have expected him to say of the Lord and of us, mentioning the Lord first. But here he is giving the order of their experience. Their first introduction to the Lord Jesus was in the life of the apostle. It is sobering to think that people are supposed to be able to see Christ in us. We should be able to say with Paul, "Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ." 1 Corinthians eleven verse one. Notice that they received the word with affliction in joy. This is how they had imitated the Lord and the apostles. Externally there was affliction, internally there was joy. It is an unusual combination. For the man of the world, it is impossible to experience joy and affliction simultaneously. To him, sorrow is the opposite of joy. The Christian has a joy of the Holy Spirit that is independent of circumstances, to him, the opposite of joy is sin. The affliction they endured was the persecution which followed their conversion. 1 verse 7 The Thessalonians became model Christians. First of all, their example of joy in the midst of persecution was an example to believers in Macedonia and Achaia, that is, to all the Christians in Greece. 1 verse 8 But their testimony didn't stop there. They became reproducing Christians. Like ripples in a pool, the word of the Lord spread out in ever widening circles, first in Macedonia and Achaia, then in every place. Soon the news of their faith toward God became so widespread that Paul didn't have to speak about it, the people already knew. We are not intended to be termini of our blessings, but channels through which they can flow to others. God shines in our hearts so that the light might shine out to others, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, JND translation. If we have really drunk the water of salvation, then rivers of living water will flow forth to those around us John seven verses thirty seven and thirty eight one verse nine It was a matter of common conversation that when the apostle and his colleagues went to Thessalonica, they had received a royal welcome. Also it had become a matter of common knowledge that a startling transformation had taken place in the lives of many people. They had turned to God from their pagan idols and had yielded their will to God as bondslaves. Notice that they turned to God from idols, not from idols to God. It wasn't that they had become fed up with their idols and then decided to give God a chance. No, they turned to God and found Him so satisfying that they dropped their idols. It's that look that melted Peter. It's that face that Stephen saw. It's that heart that wept with Mary. Can alone from idols draw. Let us never lose the sense of thrill and awe that is implicit in this account. Two men go into a heathen city with the word of the Lord. They preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit. The miracle of regeneration takes place, men and women become so enraptured with the Savior that they abandon their idols. Next you have a local assembly of believers praising God, living lives of holiness, bravely enduring persecution, and winning others to Christ. Truly the Lord's service is the Prince of Callings. One verse ten. Not only were the Thessalonians serving the living and true God, in contrast to idols which are lifeless and false, but they were waiting for the Lord Jesus. Notice the details of their expectation. 1. The person, his son. 2. The place, from heaven. 3. The pledge, whom he raised from the dead. 4. The Precious Name Even Jesus. 5. The Prospect Who Delivers Us From the Wrath to Come. Thus we have in verses 9 and 10 the three aspects of the Thessalonians' experience. Turning, compare work of faith, verse 3. Serving, compare labor of love, verse 3. Waiting, compare patience of hope, verse 3. G. R. Hardingwood analyzes them as follows. Following, looking to God Serving, looking on the fields Waiting, looking for Jesus The Thessalonians were waiting for God's Son from heaven. This implies the possibility of His coming during their lifetime, in fact, at any moment during their lifetime. The imminent return of the Lord Jesus is the Christian's hope. It is found in many passages of the NT, of which the following are a few. Luke 12 verse 36, And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. Romans 8 verse 23, Waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 2, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. Galatians 5 verse 5, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Philippians 3 verse 20, We also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4 verse 5, The Lord is at hand. Titus 2 verse 13, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9 verse 28, To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. James 5 verses 7 to 9, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, for the coming of the Lord is at hand, the judge is standing at the door. 1 Peter 4 verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. 1 John 3 verse 3, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Jude 21, Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Revelation 3 verse 11, I am coming quickly. 22 verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. 22 verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly. 22 verse 20, Surely, quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The Christian knows that he may be required to pass through death but he also knows that the Lord may come at any moment and that, in that event, he will enter heaven without dying. No prophecy of the scripture needs to be fulfilled before the coming of Christ for his people. It is the next great event in God's program. We cannot be looking for the Lord's return at any moment if some event or period of time has to intervene. The pre-tribulation rapture position is the only one that permits the believer to look for Christ's coming today. Other views force abandonment of the imminency of His return. The one we look for is Jesus, our Deliverer from the wrath to come. This description of the coming Savior may be understood in two ways. One, He delivers us from the eternal punishment of our sins. On the cross He endured the wrath of God against our sins. Through faith in Him, we have the value of His work reckoned to our account. Henceforth there is no condemnation for us, because we are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8:1. 2. But he also delivers us from the coming period of judgment when the wrath of God will be poured out on the world that has rejected his son. This period is known as the tribulation and the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel 9:27, Matthew 24:4-28, 1 Thessalonians 5:1-11, 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 1-12, Revelation 6:1, 19:10.